Oh. <laughs> to HBCU Pulse Radio yeah. on Sirius XM Channel 142 HBCU. You are now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today where, man, we have a stacked show. We're talking about life after student leadership. At an HBCU, student leadership is a job and you're at the apex of your time in life because there's so many amazing people you meet, so many places that you go. But what happens after you graduate? And now you're living an adult life trying to get this money. Like, what happens after that? Shelby and I are going to talk about it uh, coming up. But before we do that, let's talk about some news going on in the HBCU community. Get up on what's trending. Get up! You're listening to the Front Page Report on HBCU Pulse Radio. Yeah, so we start today's front page report talking about TikTok being banned on HBCU campuses. Florida A&M University and Langston University are the first HBCUs to ban TikTok on school-issued devices and Wi-Fi. The ban comes after widespread concerns of privacy and data usage by the short-form video sharing app. Fam, you blocked the app on March the 7th with Vice President of Information Technology Robert Sr. saying, quote, the application is deemed a threat to national security and privacy use. The banning of the app calls outrage from students who can now only use the app via their individual data plans. Khalees Scott, staff writer for the FAMUN, which is FAMU's student-run newspaper, spoke against the banning of TikTok in her op-ed, quote, is FAMU doing too much as it bans TikTok on campus? She said, quote, banning TikTok in middle and high schools is understandable as it can deter the younger minds in the classrooms, especially in the age of technology. But when it comes to college campuses, this does nothing but restrict the technological freedom of college students. Very interesting point by Khalees. Langston University, in accordance with Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt's December 8th executive order, also banned the app on school-issued devices and campus Wi-Fi. Fox 23 News reports that university officials attribute the ban to complying with state orders as a public, state-funded institution. Tennessee State is expected to be the next HBCU to ban TikTok on campus as a bill to ban TikTok passed the state legislature at the end of March and will be signed into law by Governor Bill Lee. TikTok CEO Sho Chu testified before Congress March 23rd in an attempt to answer questions about the app and defend the company against fears of improper use with user data on behalf of the Chinese government. He spoke about $1.5 billion that TikTok spent on confronting data security concerns, calling the company initiative, quote, Project Texas. However, many viewers of the hearing agreed that it didn't go well, and there's a universal sentiment that Congress is close to a full TikTok ban. The Biden administration is pushing ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, to sell the app to a U.S.-based company to avert a ban of the app. There were also signs in the hearing that TikTok could be saved from a ban as lawmakers could draft legislation to address data concern fears. Also of note, many colleges in Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Texas have banned TikTok, but as I'm saying this right now, neither of the HBCUs in these states have banned the app. This is definitely an interesting story. We will keep you updated as we near the end of the school year, because I think things could drastically change socially with the banning of TikTok. All right. So let's talk about student loan forgiveness. 
the path to federal student loan forgiveness faces another unexpected challenge. On March 27th, Senate Republicans introduced joint legislation with the intent of stopping the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan. The resolution will be filed under the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to combat newly issued rules and regulations from a presidential administration. A Congressional Review Act filed joint resolution can be passed without a Senate filibuster and with simple majorities in the House and Senate in an expedited process. This move by the Senate Republicans comes on the heels of the Supreme Court's oral arguments regarding the Biden administration's student forgiveness plan that occurred on February 28th. As we reported last fall on HBCUPost.com, the Biden administration is arguing that the student loan forgiveness plan can be enacted by the Secretary of Education, Rodel Cardona, via the 2003 HEROES Act, which allows the Secretary of Education to waive or modify loans in the case of a national emergency. And the national emergency was COVID-19. Republican detractors argue that the federal government doesn't have the power for unilateral federal student loan relief. The program was paused in lower federal courts due to the two aforementioned Supreme Court cases that oral arguments were heard for at the end of February. The joint legislation is guaranteed to pass the U.S. House of Representatives, where Republicans hold a 222 to 213 majority. However, the Democrats retain control of the Senate 51 to 49 by flipping the once Republican Pennsylvania seat currently occupied by Senator John Fetterman and retaining Senator Raphael Warnock's Georgia Senate seat. The legislation because of this could stall in the Senate, but Senate Republicans would only need two Democrats to vote in favor of the joint legislation. Still, if the Republicans do get the measure to pass the House and the Senate, it will head to President Joe Biden's desk to be signed into law. President Biden will certainly (laughs) veto the legislation. To override the president's veto, Republicans will need a two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate, which is unlikely to occur with the current makeup of Congress. However, the action signals that Republican leaders look to use legislative action to foil passage of the student loan forgiveness plan, which would forgive up to 20000 for federal loan borrowers. This also is a sign that student loan forgiveness will be a hot-button issue heading into 2024's election season, especially if the Supreme Court strikes down President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. 34 Senate seats, 23 held by Democrats, and all 435 House seats are up for vote in 2024, as well as the presidency. A shift in either party's direction would signal a lot on the viability for student loan forgiveness in the future. Of course, we'll continue to update you on this story, as well as HBCUs banning TikTok on campus, as more information is presented, so make sure to head over to HBCUPulse.com. Coming up, Shelby and I have a real conversation about life at the student leadership. Trust me, you do not want to miss what I have to say. <laughs> You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. Don't, don't go anywhere. Y'all ain't no one, right? Yeah. HBCU Pulse Radio will be right back after this commercial break. This episode is sponsored by the Give Black app, created for us, by us, to simplify giving, donating, and fundraising. The Give Black app is the world's go-to app for black philanthropy, educating, and economically empowering black organizations globally. Giving, donating, and fundraising just became easy. With Give Black, you can donate to the causes, businesses, and organizations that mean the most to you. As a business, founder like myself, or brand, you can raise 24-7 funds without spending tons of cash to find your ideal donors and partners. Available on iOS and Android mobile devices. Welcome back. In four, three, two, one. To HBCU Pulse Radio, the heart of HBCU culture. 
Welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio. So as I said in the last break, we're talking about life after student leadership, and it is definitely a conversation, and I don't want to make it a one-sided conversation. So we have our co-host, Shelby on. She's an Albany State alumna. She did a lot at Albany State in student leadership, so she's the perfect person to have this conversation with, and it's going to be a conversation. This is not an interview. This is almost like you're a fly on the wall for our conversation about how things are with student leadership and life after student leadership because it is a lot. Shelby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I have a lot to say just like you. You know, we both should have a lot to say anyway. You know, when it comes to student leadership, it's a very much a thankless job and you see a lot of highs in it and a lot of lows. I know for me that I was an HBC All-Star for the White House in 2017 when Trump was in office. That was very interesting. Um, I was in SGA. You know, I forged my own path at Fort Valley in student leadership. And it was a lot. You get popularity. You get clout. You get different awards and things handed to you. You get to go on trips. But people don't understand, like, you know, the mental health aspect of it. And they don't understand sort of how hard it is to disconnect from student leadership once you graduate. So I want you just to talk about how it was for you and student leadership and how things changed for you once you graduated like was it a huge seismic change or did life just start going great for you after you graduated when I was a student leader in school I was a Holly ambassador so I did tours on campus I also was a part of the Ram News Network because I was a mass comm major we did newscasts and things like that bi-weekly newscasts I was also a part of the student activities advisory board So, you know, we plan the homecoming concerts, homecoming events, most of the on-campus events that happen. I was on the radio station. I was involved in a lot of things. And so in the beginning for me, it was just trying to figure out what I like to do, what works for me. And then I always tried to be involved in organizations that kind of related to my career path. Because back then I really didn't know. I didn't know if I wanted to do be a news anchor or be on the radio or do public relations or marketing. I had no idea. So that's what it was for me. So my point was to make sure that I was involved in whatever I was interested in and then figure it out along the way. So once my junior year came, things got a little bit, I didn't, I minimized my organizations just to kind of focus on what was more important to me. Student Activities Advisory Board, SOP was everything. I loved planning events, things like that. I, I enjoyed the radio station, but you know, it's just other things that I just try, had to let go to kind of focus on what I wanted to do. But then, you know, after graduation, it was just kind of the situation where I gave so much to ASU. I was involved in so many things, went on so many conferences, helped recruit, being an ambassador, things like that. And then when I graduated, I didn't really have, I had job opportunities, but it wasn't anything that just screamed what I wanted to do. It really kind of, I was in a depression, honestly. And, you know, you could easily say, my mom always would say, well, you just graduated in May, like give it time. It's not going to happen overnight. But then you got friends and other student leaders that you know that graduate and then they're starting off in their jobs with 60,000 K and all this stuff. And then you just looking like, you just looking like, it's not me, but I gave so much to ASU and, and I always felt like I had nothing to show for it. Basically, that's what I used to say. But eventually it started looking up. How did you confront mental health as you were a leader on campus doing all the things you were doing? And how did you confront mental health once you graduated? Because you talked about how you hit a depression, you hit a low after you graduated because you were trying to figure out what was next. So how did you confront that? I would say prayer, <laughs> to be very honest, prayer and just trusting that it'll all work out and then using my connections, using those connections that I'm created and that I developed when I was in school with my advisors and different people, finding out what's out there, what opportunities 
could possibly be for me. So sometimes a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So yes, I was in a depression, but who am I asking that may know of some job opportunities? Who did I ask? Who did I talk to? No one. So I had to realize, okay, well, let me just call some people up, you know, those connections that I use, those relationships that I made. Let me call them up and see, you know, okay, well, do you know about any opportunities or this is what's going on? This is how I'm feeling. What do you think I should do? So just using those mentors and those connections that you've created to help yourself, you know, move forward because you never know who can help you. So I would say that's, that's definitely what helped me move out of that transition to that depression and then actually seeing the light and knowing that everything is going to be okay. I think that's real. I know for me, when I was at Fort Valley, I didn't really start feeling down about the prospects of what was next until I would say 2018. And that's when I really started feeling it because I was so enthralled with the experience. What helped me out when I graduated and I started to deal with like mental health in a real way is I got a therapist. And a lot of that stemmed from, and sometimes you see your classmates pass away and that makes you look at life differently. It makes you think about things differently. And even was being so young, we're in our twenties. So, you know, it, it just, it really freaks you out when it happens. So I know that after, you know, I saw one of my classmates pass away, I got a therapist. And then I looked at my job at that time and I realized it was causing a lot of stress. And my mom kept telling me, you don't got to do this. You don't got to do this. And, you know, I eventually did quit, but it's not like the thoughts went away. It's not like, oh, everything was magically better after that because I still was trying to build a business in HBCU Pulse. And I realized that the processes of how I look at things, I'm so used to the work because that's all I did in college and even what I did when I was in high school trying to write these books. So I changed the thought process and I worked on setting those boundaries, not only for myself, but for other people and trying to find out what I enjoy and starting to so more so enjoy the process, enjoy the freedom and trying to enjoy not always being in a work mode, which I'm still working on to this day. But I think that that's one thing that helped me is that really prioritizing my mental health. I can do better with physical health. I can do better. But prioritizing my mental health and really setting those boundaries and understanding that I don't got to work 24 seven. I like that you definitely explain that student leaders, we don't know when to sit down because we don't. Like me being in that moment of not having anything to do and just waking up and just not having any plans, not having nowhere to be, not having a meeting to go to. It was kind of like, well, wow, like I really don't know what to do with all this idle time. <laughs> so it, it that it just kind of stressed me out even more because I'm, I'm used to moving. I'm used to going. I'm used to my calendar being booked. Like what's going on? But I appreciate that time that I had because I was able to really figure out what I want to do because I'm not just about to take any job, especially when I know that I'm not going to enjoy it. So it really helped me prioritize what's important Help me, you know, I had time to rebuild my resume and figure out what I want to put on there, what I want to take out. It was honestly helpful. So I'm grateful for it. So let me ask you this. Do you think that like your friendship and your sorors, do you think that that helped you in the post-graduation process? You know what, Randall? That's a really good question. I do feel that me gaining my line sisters was definitely something that has helped me post-graduation because we all came from different walks of life. It was just, we're all just so different in our own special way. So we kind of help each other and boost each other and motivate each other in our own different ways. So I will say like that is 
one of the best relationships I built was with my line sisters because like to this day, you know, they just get the process. And some of my line sisters are kind of older than me. So it just kind of works because they're in a different space in life. So I can look at them because they were just there two years ago or three years ago. So they know how to kind of help me and where I am right now and what would work best. But I will say as far as relationships outside of my line sisters, definitely making those connections with my other friends that I created and the other organizations that I was a part of definitely have helped me now. We've helped each other. You know, I have a friend that just got hired on at Albany State University and I put her name in there because I just spoke on her character, her personality, you know, things like that, how she'd be so great for the job and it worked out. So yes, it has definitely helped post-grad. I, I truly believe those relationships that you create in college and those connections that you may not even talk to the person every day, but it's just somebody that you know you can call on and be like, hey, I need a favor. Do you know this person? Person, how can you help me with this? Like, it just always works out like that. So I feel like that's that's very important. Student leadership is great, but if you're not creating relationships with those people that you can use, you because you never know what you're going to need, then it's kind of like, not pointless, but you're not getting the full experience. Oftentimes in student leadership, it gets real clicky. It's almost like a caste system, just a very political system. And that's something I didn't really like about student leadership. And I didn't like the fact that sometimes it felt as if in student leadership, like we were like the upper echelon and everybody else was like the normal people. And then you had the folks that were quote unquote normal people, the folks that didn't go to SGA meetings, that wasn't a part of the campus activity board or SOB, that weren't Greek, they were like, oh man, it must be nice up there. Or, oh, I thought you were mean. I didn't like that because that might be the reason why I feel like, man, I'm just out here by myself. That might be the reason why they might have thought, Rannery, SJ, he writing books, he must be mean. No, I wasn't mean. No, I'm, I'm, I'm out here just chilling. I'm just like you. You know, so I think that that might not have been a thing where it's like student leadership to a point sort of puts a bubble around us and it makes folks think, oh, they're elitist. They think that they're so good because they do all this stuff for the school. Like, do, do you think that 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 is a thing or is that just my experience? Because it might just be me. I do think the click part is true to a certain extent, but to me, I feel like on the other end of it, it kind of gives people something to look forward to because when you were a freshman, you remember those student leaders that just had that name, had that title, they had that character that you strived to be similar to or you strive to be up there or be respected how they're respected. So I feel like to a certain extent, it's inspirational. Like that's what creates the next leaders. So yes, it can be clicky, but I also feel like on another hand, it's helpful because students need to see that. Cause I feel like now we're not even going to get into now, right now. <laughs> but it's like the student leadership level is not the same to a certain extent. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like student leaders are the same? How do you feel about that? Like student leadership when you were in school and what you've observed now? I think that's a really great question. Uh, I talk about this all the time with folks, the student leadership and the student experience has changed. And I think, you know, largely, and it's so crazy, I think TikTok has sort of made the experience what it is as far as like how people move now. Because I think a, a lot of folks are trying to find that viral moment and they're doing these different dances and all these these different things. When oftentimes, I know for me, I wasn't putting everything on social media. It wasn't like I went to school in the, in the 90s. Like we, like we had social media, like Instagram right. Live started when I was at Fort Valley. Facebook Live started when I was at Fort Valley. When I was at Fort Valley, Periscope started and I was just periscoping. They're like, Randall, what's that? 
that? It's called Periscope. Oh, I never heard of that. Like, I don't use that when I get home. Like, like literally, like, like live streaming as far as how we do it on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Like, that became a thing when I was at Fort Valley. Like, Instagram started Instagram stories when I was at Fort Valley. The boomerang started when I was at Fort Valley. So there were still those social media things, but social media didn't dominate our experience. And I think that at certain points, like social media, I see why folks say that didn't have social media the way that folks have it now. I see why they say y'all's experience is so much different because we didn't have those phones back when we were in school and we used to to be outside. We used to do X, Y, Z. We used to create memories. I don't think we do because social media is there and you scrolling through TikTok. And then if you at the function, you trying to record Shelby and the Zetas strolling for your TikTok. This is how lit my school is. I think that that changes things. I think a lot of folks now are trying to compare their schools to others. Now, we did that too. I, I can speak for us. At Fort Valley, we were like, man, fam, you seem so lit. Like, oh my gosh. Like, sometimes we were like, man, Albany doing that. We should do What's Up Wednesday. Like, you know, we, like, we, we used to have those conversations, but I think it's going to another level and I blame HBCU Pulse for it. I blame HBCU Pulse and sort of that social media culture of, let me compare my experience to Shelby's and Albany. Let me compare my my experience to CDK and Horatio at North Carolina A&T. So then when you're comparing and you see TikTok, you see what's on HBCU Pulse, you see all these different things, especially when you're in student leadership and you're meeting folks from so many different schools, you look back at your school like, why we ain't got that? And now you have a different perspective of your school. It makes you apathetic when you look at the experience that you have. So I think that is sort of what's changed because I think what's happened is the experience that we went through has gotten worse. Like, it's gotten worse because now we're like, man, this experience ain't like that. Because, man, if I went to FAMU, we would have set Friday. When it's like, no, create your own traditions. Create your own customs. Like, it's lit where you are. And if it's not, you do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's what we get misconstrued. I can definitely agree with you on that because, you know, I remember myself saying, wow, they got Drake at their homecoming and we can only get such and such. Like, that's crazy. Like, it just felt, it, it did feel like a competition. And then you just kind of think, how would it be if I chose another HBCU or how would my experience be? How would my leadership be for me? How would my opportunities be if I chose another HBCU? Because you're seeing how great things are over there and then you're just like, uh. <laughs> but you know, in that, I really do. I do. I do agree with you. You have to create your own um, traditions. You have to fight for what you want. That's why there's an SGA to fight for the student body to try to create more opportunities for the students. So that's why it's just so important. But you know something I'll say, though, you graduated spring 2021, I graduated fall 2019. It's not that big of a delineation because we were in student leadership at the same time. As a matter of fact, we we halfway sort of met each other, you know, said one of the events. Yeah. Halfway sort of, you know, so you saw me, you know what I mean? I, I was doing my thing. I think that oftentimes we lost our way in what these positions are supposed to be. And I think the fact we lost our way, I think it's affected some of the new leaders coming up. Because and even the perception of what leadership is supposed to be like when I look at world politics, especially United States politics. One thing I start to say is that politics is a slow process, but we have to be involved in that process to see it through to make the changes we want to see happen. It's a presidential election every four years. It's a midterm that happens. It's other elections. You got to be active in all of it to enact the change that you want. But you can't get mad if you're not enacting the change and like, oh, they're not doing what they need to do. You have to be a part of that process. 
I think it's like that for HBCUs and in college especially, there's a political process out of HBCUs and in college. Because if you want a homecoming, you might have to have a campaign where you raise student fees. It might have to be a conversation where this SGA president or this SOB president meets with this promoter and now they're the person. Or it might be a process to make different things happen in leadership. But I think that because of social media, because of comparison culture, even when we were in school, we think these positions are something totally different. When in actuality, an SGA president is supposed to advocate. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes a lot of schools, the SGA president and that administration is booking homecoming. That ain't what they supposed to be doing. And then right. we have to run the rest of the year with that budget. So you're trying to book Drake. Meanwhile, we broke. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we didn't make no money back. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a lot of folks forget what these positions are supposed to be. Like, what are the recruiters supposed to do? What are the SGA representatives supposed to do outside of the SGA president? You said that. You said that. Because, you know, there was always, at my school, there was always a battle between a peer mentor and a Holly ambassador or a student orientation leader and a Holly ambassador. Because it's always like, well, the Holly ambassadors, we know all the information. We know all the history. We give the tours. Student orientation leaders shouldn't be giving no tours. You know, peer mentors shouldn't be giving no tours. It was always kind of like, okay, how do you stay in your own lane? What makes your organization stand out? And that's true. When you stay in your own lane, you could be so much more powerful, but it always happens. You know, people trying to do other stuff that doesn't concern them. Focus on your organization and what you're supposed to be doing. So I agree. But I even think for the students having an understanding of what student leaders are supposed to be doing. Like, I think that that's a big thing. Like students understanding what other student positions are supposed to be and the change that needs to be enacted. Another thing I see that's different is when you look at elections, right? Like I've, you know, been doing elections for three years. I'm retired as of this broadcast, this radio show. I ain't doing it no more. But one thing I started to see change after I graduated and I was doing these elections is that a lot of folks didn't have a platform. Like when you're campaigning for these positions, what are you going to do? Because the, the thing that people don't understand is that when it comes to student elections, because it's election season right now, like what happens in an election is you present your ideas, not, oh, I look so nice. Look at how great I dress. I'm a part of this organization. You present your ideas in a way that's sellable to your electorate. Then that said electorate votes for you or somebody else based on your ideas. Then you implement those ideas. Oftentimes, we see the homecoming part implemented for, for some administrations, some leadership positions, but those other points aren't. And then there is not at some of our schools, because the other schools there are, but at some of our schools, there's not a check and balance for, okay, like you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. So I'm going to call you on that. And I think that that's bad because that sets a bad precedent for leadership. Because that's not how politics works. That's not how leadership works. You know, and when I look back at it as now I'm graduated and I'm running HBCU polls and I'm seeing these different things and I'm working with folks on their platforms, their campaigns, I'm like, what do you want to do? Because if you don't know what you want to do, I'm pretty sure the student that is not going to the Senate meeting is not going to know what you want to do or what that position entails. Like, I think that oftentimes that's the problem. We're losing recipes. And if we losing recipes, folks going to make some different recipes that ain't all that good. I think that that's what's going on right now. I think that that's the bigger change is that it's not only about knowing the role, it's about knowing the function to me. But Shelby, this was great. So where can we find you on social media? 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Lotus Love underscore L L O T U S Love. Make sure to follow HBC Pulse on Instagram and YouTube at HBC Pulse, Twitter and TikTok, the HBC Pulse. Subscribe to HBC Pulse Radio wherever you get your podcast. And one more thing. If you'd like to donate to HBCU Pulse to help us bring more stories like this to the HBCU audience, you can cash app us at dollar sign HBCU Pulse or visit paypal.me slash HBCU Pulse to support us. Any support will be greatly appreciated. But thank you for tuning in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side and we'll catch you next week. Like what you hear? Yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to HBCU HBCU Pulse Pulse Radio. Radio.